Hello, family. Uh, my name is uh, Nick. I'm a Covenant community member here at the Well, and I'm a member of the 290 East Community Group. Hey, we're here. And I, uh, I serve <laughs> on campus with a uh, student org called Longhorn BSM. Okay, they're not here today. Uh, <laughs> today I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 to 15. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness." As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the word of the Lord. Sean, where you at, dog? You trying to preach today? <laughs> Shoot, he was going in. I love it. Hey, how we feeling? We feeling good? But hey, we're continuing in our generosity series, and uh, we believe as a church that generosity is worship. And so we've said that, that's part of our distinctives. We want to be intentional in the way that we're uh, posturing ourselves before the Lord with every aspect of our life. Our generosity is included, and that includes our generosity in our talents, that includes our generosity in our time, as Sean even mentioned in the video, and also our generosity in our treasures or our money. And so within this tool, we're thinking about how we can love. God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in the midst of our generosity. We've thrown this uh, tool up on the screen each week, and we'll do it every week of this series, because if you've missed some, I would really encourage you to go back and to listen to those, because these really do build off of one another, and segmented by itself, one of them can sound like we're over-focusing on one, but in reality, you need all of these to be able to truly worship God in whatever area of our life. They build off of one another. The first week we looked at our heart and, or I'm sorry, our strength, and we looked at how we can love God out of our obedience and looked at things like tithing and giving and uh, being obedient to what God has called us to do in the scriptures. Last week we thought about how we love God with our feelings or our heart. God is an emotional being and therefore calls for our emotion as we give to the kingdom of God. How do we grow in our cheer? And today we're going to be focusing in on the mind. And so, what does it look like to be a thoughtful giver or loving God with our mind in regards to our finances? Now, the mind and the heart, they can be translated in different ways throughout Scripture. At times, the mind is actually talking about our emotion, or there's even some places where the Bible uses the term mind, and it's actually talking about our soul. But in this context, when Jesus says we should love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, because the heart and the soul are both mentioned, then we know that Jesus is talking 
talking about our intellect here, that we should love God in our thinking, in the way that we are using our brains to the kingdom of God. We see this type of definition throughout Scripture. For example, in Psalm chapter 8, verse 4, it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? So David is saying, why do you even think about me? Right? Like, like you, the holy God of all of the universe, you actually put your thoughts towards me. We should probably have that posture as well. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, it says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. I long for the day when the painful things of this world will not even come to our mind. Amen? Like that is the destination, women and men of God, for all of us who believe where we won't even be able to remember the pains of this earth. It'll be erased from our mind because we are in the presence of God. Praise God for this. The idea of the mind can be used in a negative sense as well. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord, which too many people do today as well. They act like they're speaking things on behalf of God when in reality they've just conjured it up in their own mind and they twist the scripture to make it sound like God is speaking when in reality they are speaking. But that's another sermon for another time, all right? First uh, Corinthians 14, 14, last one, it says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now that's for real, for real, another sermon for another time, all right? But I do want to talk about the spirit of God, even as this church, even in this year as well. But what Paul is saying is like, hey, if you are speaking in tongues and don't really know what you're saying, then your mind isn't active and therefore it cannot grow. The mind or our intellect is very important for the Christian, You know, there's this common myth and a a false premise that Christianity is a mindless religion, that this faith is a simple feeling or some sort of blind obedience, but this could not be further from the truth. Christians of all people should be some of the smartest people on earth, for we know the God who created intellect itself. We know he who is wisdom personified. God created the mind as a reflection of his extreme thoughtfulness and his all-knowing power. Therefore, he calls us to activate our mind because in activating our intellect, we are acting like the God whose image we are created in. And so we should be using our minds, loving him intentionally in our thinking. This is true in our theological pursuit. This is true in our apologetic pursuit. And it's true in every spiritual discipline, including how we use our finances. And so how can we love God with our minds? Not just when we're reading the Bible, that as well, but also when we are giving. Well, as we read in our passage today, Paul starts off by saying, this isn't a command, or this isn't a command, but it is from God, but it's good, and you don't have to do this, but you should do this. It's kind of strange, right? And so I'm going to remove verse 9 for a second because it's a clear gospel point. But peep what Paul is saying here. He says, this is not a command. In other words, you do not have to finish the plan giving that you had planned to give. This isn't like some apostolic authority. You are not more or less Christian if you finish what you said you were going to do in the first place in regard to your giving. Rather, it is good that you keep this because this actually benefits you. 
In fact, the desire, Paul says here, in other words, your heart is there, but you should finish it now, which is your obedience or your strength, because ultimately this is going to bless you. God doesn't need you to give. You need you to give, as we talked about in the first week. Already you can see in this context how Paul is trying to tie together the heart and the soul and the mind and the strength and all of these intersect in and out from one another, isolated from each other. None of them stand very well. It's kind of like a four-legged stool, right? If you remove one of the legs, you may be able to sit on it, but you better believe that your leg gonna be that fourth leg or else you fall in, right? They all have to support one another. And so the heart drives the head or the soul drives the hands, etc. So Paul is saying, look, it's not enough to just have desire or your heart. What Jesus calls for is all of us Like if Jesus just desired to die on the cross, but didn't finish it with his obedience, what would happen? Hint, you and I would be screwed, right? Like your action has to follow your desires. So notice after talking about our hearts and our souls and our hands, look at all the thinking language that Paul uses. Back to verse 12. He says we should be giving according to what a person has. Your abundance supplies other people's needs. And at other times or even in other ways, like Sean alluded to in his video, their abundance can supply your need as well. So question, how do you know what you have or your abundance if you don't know what you have. Y'all tracking with me? Right? Like, Like, if you're not thoughtful about your finances, then you don't know what you have, therefore you don't know what you can give. You digging? Yeah? And so all of this to say we should be thoughtful in our giving is what Paul is alluding to. In fact, we're not going to read it today, but in verses 16 through 24, Paul goes into all of this thinking language, and he's talking about how intentional he is at handling the money that's been given to him. He's telling everyone that he's being thoughtful with these resources that they have sacrificed, and he's planning on what to do and how to use it well, and even how to transport it well, which was very dangerous back in the day. You did not have have, uh, uh, you know, whatever, PayPal, where you could just ship money to somebody, like you had to carry it and you can get your tail robbed. And so he's like, look, here's what I'm doing to be thoughtful with the money. It's kind of like the business meeting. He's telling the churches what he's doing with the money so that they can entrust and therefore worship God through that thoughtfulness. And so we are to be thoughtful givers and thoughtful in our Christian life in general at large. In fact, if you go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Uh, first letter to this church that Paul wrote, he says this, beginning in verse one. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So Paul tells them in the first letter to set aside money for Sunday giving, AKA, there's a thoughtfulness, there's intentionality here. You plan your giving. You're not mindlessly obedient and just do what you're being commanded to do, but you're intentionally thoughtful even in your sacrifices. As we saw last week, this increases our ability to really activate our strength and to give more because the thoughtful giver is normally more thoughtful with their finances in all areas of their life, not just in their generosity, but in their saving and 
spending and in every other area as well, meaning they are often better stewards of this resource that God has given to them. Practically speaking, that means it would be really good to have certain things in place because it's actually a worship act to God. Things like a budget where you can plan and think about the money with some intentionality. In fact, maybe that's one of the areas that some of us need to grow in is that we need to grow in loving God with our mind in regard to our finances. In fact, on Commitment Sunday, there's going to be a slide up here. There's all these different ways that we can commit as a church. And in two weeks, we're going to really plan on that. And one of the things that we have up there is that we're doing a Money Wise class. One of our elders, Paul Carlson and uh, Carissa, um, I almost called you Jobman, my bad. Carissa uh, Grano, KJ, is going to be leading us through uh, this material because maybe this is one of the areas that we can grow as we think about how we love God, like being intentional and budgeting. This is a, a really important way that we can grow in our finances along with other ways as well. Because for a lot of us, uh, we don't budget and so then we think that we're poor. However, we're probably not as poor as we think we are. We're just poor stewards. We're poor managers. And that's not to throw a quick jab. That's to really let us think about, hey, are we loving God in this area? Like this is part of the way that we love God. The more intentional we are, then the better stewards we will be and the more practical impact that we will make to the kingdom of God in the long haul. The end result of all of this family is impact. How can you do the most with what God has given you? Now, if we're finding our righteousness by our works, then either we feel in super holy right now, because we got a budget, we've been planning it, and we're like, oh yeah, I'm real Christian, right? Or we're feeling super condemned because we don't do this, and we think we find our righteousness by what we do rather than what Christ has done. You see, both sides of the chasm are dangerous, so don't fall off of it and allow the enemy to deceive you in pride or in guilt. Really what Paul is saying here is he's trying to help us grow in our discipleship. He's trying to help us grow to be better stewards of what God has given to us. You see, some people are really good at loving God like this. In fact, family of God, this is part of the beauty of diversity. Not just ethnically, though there's all this beauty there as well, but even in things like gifting and like wiring, because for some people being intentional or thoughtful with their money is a very easy thing to do. These people are probably accountants or financial planners, or they just learned to do this early on and they've been doing it faithfully. They heard something and then they put it into action and this is increasing their ability to love and honor God. For them, this is a no-brainer topic, but maybe their hearts are removed for giving and they need last week's sermon to activate the heart again. For some of us, we may love giving, but we spend 62% of our budget eating out without even realizing it. I'm talking to someone today. <laughs> Listen, if we're open and honest with each other about our strengths and our weaknesses, then we can help each other grow because of our diversity. Y'all tracking with that? Like some people who are strong in this, help your brothers and sisters who are weaker at this, sit down with them and say, here's how you write a budget. Here's how you track your spending. And that will actually allow us to be more impactful in the kingdom of God in the long run. Listen, we do this as a church, y'all. I don't know if you know this, but it's part of what some of our elders even focus on. You see, we're thoughtful about our generosity even as a church, even in our mission and calling. You know, some people on our team are heart people, and so they're like, give it all away. <laughs> Other people are mind people, praise God. 
And they're like, sure, but let's be intentional with our giving. As a church, what we desire to do is plant 100 churches nationally within the first 50 years of our existence. We also desire to plant 100 churches internationally within the first 50 years of our existence. And so 100 churches nationally and 100 churches internationally, and in case you didn't know, that takes money to do that. And so we think about how can we make an impact here, and as a church, we actually set aside 17% of everything that comes in, and it immediately goes into those two buckets. Now, this doesn't include our extra giving. We actually give on top of this at times as well, but we budget to give. We think about it in advance so that when the opportunity comes, we can move on that opportunity. We're thinking in our heads how to use money because we believe in our souls that planting churches is God's means of redeeming the world to himself. And so our souls are driving our heads, which drive our hands and increases our joy in the Lord. Now look, it'd be nice to have that extra 20% to go to salaries or a building or something like that. Right? Like, and at times there's a temptation, but because we planned it, we never dig into that and we never will dig into it as a church. It will only be used to advance our mission and vision because that's what we feel convicted by God to do. And so we're thoughtful or we're intentional. In fact, notice what I just said there is that we're going above and beyond our 10%, right? I believe that Paul alludes to that even in 2 Corinthians. Look again at verse 11. They said that there's this earnestness or a desire or a readiness to be able to give from the Corinthians. And so having a budget is good, but what about when God calls you to an additional need? That's what's going on here. So what about when the refugee is in need? Or what about when the missionary is in need? To be mindful about this is a great way to love and to honor God, and it will end up impacting eternity as well. You see, the Corinthians were being encouraged to plan even their excess giving. In fact, in our own family, with my budget, what we do is we set aside 16% to uh, giving. What we do is we give 10% to the well immediately because I believe a strong conviction that the most, uh, the, the biggest portion of our giving should be to the local church. You actually see this all throughout the scripture. They gave to the temple because that's where people came to understand, worship, and grow in their affections for God. Or New Testament, they gave to the church because that was God's means of redeeming the world for himself. So nonprofits are awesome and good, but they don't make soul impact like churches do. And so we should be giving the most there. So we give 10% there, and then we give an additional about 4% to missionaries or compassion children or other things that my wife and I have felt called to be able to give. We actually keep about 2%, though, where we just keep it. And it's waiting until there's a need that arises. Don't all y'all come to me after the gathering, all right? Like, oh, for real, I got a need, all right? Go to the church, all right? But that's what we do so that when it comes, listen, y'all, we can have the joy in our heart because with our heads we thought about it and we can give to a need. Y'all tracking with that? And so that's what Paul is saying here to do as well. In fact, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. First fruit, meaning this is the first thing we think about. Our giving, our money to the Lord is a really easy way to worship God and impact the kingdom. So we think about it first. It's the first fruit that we use towards other people. This is about intentionality. We are thinking about God's kingdom first. And Proverbs says that's what wisdom is. And think about it. All the reasons we discussed in weeks one and two, if you apply your mind to that as well, think about the impact you make in the kingdom of God. 
If the money analogy doesn't make sense for us, imagine this in relationships, okay? Imagine if I just thought about being a good husband, and that's it, right? Like, I just thought about it, but I never actually did anything. So there has to be this obedience to follow through. Or imagine if I thought about it and I acted, but I had no feeling behind it. Right? Dang, somebody's husband just got rebuked. (laughs) It's good, sister. Shoot, rebuke that man, all right? Like, imagine, right? It's like, hey, yo, I brought you flowers. And she's like, oh, thank you. Why? And I'm like, because I had to. Nobody thinks that's romantic, right? Like, I thought about it, and I did something, but my heart was missing. And so we need our heart, soul, mind, and strength to be engaged in order to have true intimacy or true marital love or true trust. And then baby mayo number five is inaugurated. (laughs) Only half of y'all caught that. Look, we give everything, right? And as we give everything, we actually move in a posture of worship, I even use that idea of trust importantly because it builds this camaraderie, this togetherness when everything is implied that is true in my marriage. It's also true in you and I's relationship with God. We should employ all of these things in our marriage or in our giving or in our scripture reading or whatever it might be. Now, here's the interesting thing, okay, because I don't want us to get caught sleeping on this. Like, I think really well with my money. As a pastor, we don't make a ton of money. We ain't a prosperity gospel church, so I ain't driving no Bentley in this mug. I drive a Hyundai Elantra. That bad boy is this big. I am this big, okay? And so we just don't have a ton of money. And so literally I have to think about it and I feel like God has helped me to think about it in really clear ways. But in my marriage, my mind is often lacking. Like I'm confessing sin here and very honestly, like I think about work or I think about other things, but my heart and my soul and my strength are activated. But when Wednesday date night comes, it's often eight o'clock, we put the kids down and I'm like, "Uh, what do you wanna do tonight? I've not thought about it at all, right? And so I'm missing a portion of intimacy that is there because I have not been thinking about it and loving my wife in that way. So just because I'm strong with my mind and my giving doesn't make me strong in all areas of my life with my mind. And that's true of you in different places as well. You see, your heart could be engaged in worship but totally void in prayer, Your mind could be engaged in the scripture, but completely missing in serving the kingdom of God. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and we'll talk about it again in week five and six, but we need to be thinking about this as a body. We should activate them all, but thoughtfulness or planning or being strategic is one of the ways that we love God. By the way, as a quick aside, this is why when you think about work all the time, work becomes a stumbling block idol in your life. Because you worship what you think about. And so if thinking helps engage your heart and your soul and your strength, which it does, just like those areas help engage your thinking as well, then it makes sense that when you are thinking about work or thinking about whatever it may be all the time, your heart naturally begins to worship that thing. This is why we should be thinking about the Lord. In fact, oftentimes this is why we get stuck in cycles of sin Because you see, we think about sin rather than thinking about the beauty and the glory of Christ. And so we're like, don't sin this way, don't do that. Why did you do that? Think about the sin, think about the sin. And we get cycled into this cyclical process of thinking about our sin rather than fixing our eyes on a greater and more beautiful thing. 
what you think about, you tend to worship. And so if we think about Christ, our hearts will naturally fall more in love with our King, Jesus. And so when we did communion a couple months ago, just as a real-life example of that, everybody after church was like, whoa, I've never thought about communion like that before. And they loved with their heart taking communion. Then a couple months went by, and you just eaten that little flavored piece of cardboard. And you ain't thinking about it at all, right? And so not only do we have to think about our giving today, you got to think about it three years from now, and you got to keep your heart, soul, and mind, and strength engaged in all areas of the Christian walk. Y'all dig? So that's what Paul is highlighting here. In fact, one of the ways you can think about giving, just very tangibly, is you can look at things like our quarterly impact reports. And in fact, we just put it out, pro tip, this past week in the Well Weekly. If you get the Well Weekly because you signed up to our Connect form, then you would have got this. And my encouragement would be, don't just look at the top picture and be like, oh, wow, Chris and Amanda are elders now. Praise God. And that's it. Like, actually go through it and see what giving does for the sake of the kingdom of God. It can help your heart worship when you think with your mind what your money is actually doing. Now, Paul finishes this section with more thoughtfulness. Notice he talks about things like fairness, knowing your abundance and where others have need. So Paul isn't saying, look, give everything away. Be reckless with your money. That's not what he's doing here. There's an element of wisdom that he apply, employs as well. Now, at times, faith is involved. Let's not get it twisted. God may call us to do things that look ignorant on the outside, but because we know that that's God's voice calling us, we have to step out in faith. And it may look like foolishness to the world, but it is actually the wisdom of God. And so we have to realize wisdom here. But God has also given us a mind to think about these things which, by the way, what he says here is sort of grates against our American capitalistic culture and society, does it not? He's arguing for fairness or for equality multiple times here. Now, look, don't be eisegeting scripture either and inserting things that the text actually doesn't say. This isn't like socialism either. It doesn't say that everybody's going to have the same amount. Notice that some gathered more than others, it says there. Therefore, we are able to actually give because some have more, some have less. But it also is not capitalism in the way that we know it, which says get everything you can so that you can consume it yourself and increase your own comfort and joy. That is very American, not very gospel. You see, the gospel very often grates against both extremes in society, y'all. Just as an aside, if you sound like the culture around you, you might be being discipled by the culture more than the God of the Scriptures. And you got to be careful with both sides of the pit there. You see, this world is not the kingdom of God. And so be careful who you're being discipled by, because you may be building up the world's kingdom more than God's kingdom. All right, but look, people gathered, it says there, right? So notice that that means there's still work to be done. Like we are doing a work, this is a good thing. There's abundance and there's need in the midst of our work. In fact, Paul says if a man doesn't work, a man shouldn't eat in 1 Thessalonians because they were struggling with seeing how uh, even their common acts of grace were actually uh, aiding the world at large. And so we all should be working. And so we work and then we gather, and then Paul says, after that, you think about others, and that's where we tend to veer off in society. We work, we gather, and then we think about ourselves. 
But the scripture says it's better to give than it is to receive. And that Christ didn't even think about himself, but he laid his life down thinking about you in the process that becoming more like God is actually thinking about others first, even above ourselves. This is true in Exodus 16, which Paul is quoting from, and it is true in that church as well. I think about even present day examples, people who have encouraged me with this sort of posture. There's all different ways you could think about money. All of us don't have to land on the exact same boat here. I think about somebody like KB, who is a Christian rapper, really more of an urban theologian in a lot of ways. He has what he calls sacrificial generous capitalism. What he means by that is he tries to make as much as humanly possible so that he can give away as much as humanly possible. And so his goal with his finances, what he's thinking about is, how can I make enough where I can backwards tithe so I give away 90% and I keep 10%? And that's the way that he's thinking about money. So guess what's dictating his budget? It's this over excess of giving. And he shared that last year was the first time he was able to do it, that he made literally over a million dollars, does not need that much money, kept aside still six figures, which is pretty dang nice, but then he gave away 90%. This is a great way to honor God. Or I think about even our sending church, uh, Tim Hawks, who was the pastor there, has actually been audited by the IRS multiple times because of how much he gives. He doesn't like to talk about it. I don't know why. I think it's a great testimony. Like he continues to give and they don't think he's giving as much as he says that he's giving. So they come and audit this dude and they're like, I guess he's just generous. That's a really cool testimony, y'all, is it not? And so you can think about it in whatever way you want to look at it, but thinking about it is a worship act towards God. You say, well, I'm a college student. I don't have a lot to give. First of all, that's not true, right? Like, you may not have a lot of money to give, but God has made you rich in things like time right now, and you can give way more than the working mom with two kids. So where she may be able to give in some areas, you can give in other areas as well. Once again, the abundance and the need. At times there's need, at times there's abundance in different areas, and we are generous in wherever God has made us rich in. But even the little bit that you do give is still an act of worship to God. The tiniest sacrifice can make deep impacts into eternity. As we say often, the smallest pebble can create the ripple effects throughout the whole entire pond. And so as we give even just a tiny bit, it can make impacts in eternity. We can give different things with different amounts, but thoughtfully is what Paul is calling for. Now, like with all of these areas, if we overemphasize thinking, then it has pitfalls. In fact, if you go back to the, um, the, thank you, that thing, right? Like you see at the bottom there, there are these potential pitfalls. And within these pitfalls, it's like, look, sometimes I can become an overthinker, which usually means you're an overanalyzer. This usually leads to skepticism, which is one of the main killers of faith. At times, God calls you to trust to be obedient, as Sean was even talking about in his video. Therefore, your thoughtfulness must be balanced with your sacrifice, with your joy, and with your obedience. All of these things work together. But listen, you should use your brains when you think about giving. So can we just paint a couple of real quick pictures here for us? Helpful to get some like life uh, uh, analogies here. Like, first of all, I think that a lot of us, we downplay faithfulness over the long haul. Y'all hear that? A lot of us, I believe, we downplay faithfulness over the long haul. If it's not a big splash, we feel like we ain't doing nothing. So we feel like if we can't give a million dollars right now, then we are worthless. And that's just not true, y'all. Let's paint a picture. Let's pretend you're 25, 
okay, and you make $50,000 a year. You ain't rolling in it, but you have a decent job. Maybe you're doing something that's very common in a lot of ways. You're making 50K a year. Let's pretend that for the next 50 years you get zero raises. You should leave that job. But if that was the case, right, then okay, that means at the end of your life, if you just tied, you never gave generously, you never did anything else, after year after year after year of giving, over the course of 50 years, you would have given $275,000 to the kingdom. Now, let me paint a really quick picture. We said we want to plant churches. After you pay for a church planter's salary, after you give uh, him some seed money to go and begin to start the church, after all of the costs that it takes, it costs an average church plant about $120,000. In other words, if you're faithful over 50 years, then you are responsible for planting about two and a half churches with just your giving. Praise God. Like, when you go stand before the king of kings, you may not have had a whole lot to give here, but you better believe that if you were like, yo, I was responsible for multiplying the church by myself two and a half times, you can stand confident before our God. Faithfulness over the long haul makes deep impacts. I think about our own team. Almost every single person on staff has been support-based. In other words, people outside of the church giving to us so that we can actually pave a way for us to be here. My first three-year salary, the church couldn't afford me. Even though I made under $45,000, we weren't bringing in no money. And so there were people on the outside that allowed us to have a runway so that we are here now today. It was faithfulness there that actually created a pathway for the gospel to go. Your giving right now, it pays Anthony's salary or pays Juhan's church plant or pays Yusuf's lunch with the student where he gets to share the gospel and maybe he or she comes to faith or pays for my child's curriculum that's being used right now so that she can learn about Jesus in a way that is helpful for her heart to hear. Listen, impact report, business meeting, whatever it might be, like think about where your money is going In fact, if I could spend just a quick second, go back to that commitment slide real quick. Um, Like, this is what we are going to be committing to, thank you, in a couple of weeks. Have you thought about what you can do? For some of us, we need to be more faithful in giving. And the way that we honor God is we just begin to trust him. And rather than giving once or twice a year, we begin to do it repetitively because we believe, like week one said, that out of our obedience, God will bless us. We put God to the test is what I'm saying, and we see if he's faithful because he is. I've never seen the scriptures fail, and it's not going to start with you. And so we take that act of obedience, if you will. For some of us, we're doing that, and we're thinking about it, and we don't need a financial class to grow in that, but maybe we have some excess that we can give above and beyond, and we can give even more so that we can make more of an impact in the kingdom of God. For example, we know that God has made us have need in things like a building, and so maybe God has given you abundance in finances, and we can match those. What I do know, though, go to the next slide, is that God has also made us rich in other areas as well. This is part of the reason why we want to do a minority residency. You saw all those verses about fairness or equality in 2 Corinthians. We're thinking about how to create a level playing field in some ways. You see, many have not, like myself or Anthony or Huli or Juhan or Roy or Yusuf and others had our, on our team, had an adequate opportunity to be uh, encouraged or trained up to do ministry. 
even for the ones who did have an opportunity to be trained up in ministry, they often lacked the opportunity to develop and grow in adequate contextual ways where their own personality can exist rather than the personality of a suburban church culture. I don't say that in a strange way or to knock that culture, but a lot of the trainings actually train you how to do ministry mainly in a suburban church context. Well, that's not who we are. And because our team is so diverse, we believe that God has made us rich here and we want to be richer here. And so as we do that, we can then begin to develop the black, brown uh, minority to be able to do ministry in a way that God has hardwired into them. And so they are able to do ministry and we're we're also able to do ministry in the traditional way. And as you begin to combine those two things together, we see the kingdom multiplying. We're thinking, right? And this is what we want to give. And this is part of what we are giving to as well as a church. And so think about how we are to give and how God maybe can call you to impact in those ways as well. Ultimately, family, I want to end here. Jesus is our great example in all of this. If you struggle with finding the gospel passage in Scripture, this has got to be one of the most plain ones, right? If you go back to verse 9, we see Jesus being our great example. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, which he was, he walks on streets of gold. All of the finances of all of the world's uh, kingdoms are being given to him. Christ was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by, by his poverty you might become rich. As we look to Jesus, he's our great example. We're actually discipled in our generosity. He thought about you, family. He didn't just think about you, though. He felt for you. It was the joy set before him, as we looked at last week. He didn't just feel, though. He also believed deeply, was willing to surrender his life because he truly believed this in his soul. And he didn't just have soul belief or head belief or heart belief, but he had obedience as well. And he carried forth by dying on the cross for us. In fact, God thought about and planned redemption from eternity past. It says that before the foundation of the world, he thought about you. And as he thought about you, it led his heart to move and his hands to action and his soul to believe. And God was thinking about you all the way before he even created the world. Our God is a thoughtful giver, even as he gives himself. And so as we think about Jesus, as we think about the cross, our earthly desires grow dang dim, y'all. You see, we tend to care more about present reality than an eternal impact because we just don't think about eternity enough. But as we think about the kingdom to come, as we think about the place where the, uh, the moth doesn't eat up and destroy and where rust doesn't ruin, where thieves cannot break in and steal, that's where you and I are going if you're a believer in Jesus. And as you give, you are storing up treasures there, and this becomes a worship act to God. Let us set our minds on eternity. For if we think about this, we are able to impact the world now and multiply the gospel in beautiful ways. Amen. Hey, I love you guys like crazy. Let us do this as a church. Amen. Hey, let's pray together. Um, Jesus, thank you for letting us think. <laughs> and I really do thank you for that, God. That we're not just robots. We don't practice like fake obedience or our thinking can drive our hearts or our hearts can drive our heads or our hands can drive our souls. And I pray that you would help us to do that more and more as a church body. 
God, I pray for the men and women in this room who actually don't yet know you as God and as King and as Lord. I pray that they would think about you even right now. God, that you, Jesus, became poor. You came and lived on earth in poverty so that we who were spiritually poor might one day be physically rich, emotionally rich, uh, uh, spiritually rich for all of eternity. Friends, I want you to know this Jesus can be yours. There can be relationship with him. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart. If you think and you believe, feel, if you're seeking after God, mean you can have a relationship with the God of the universe. And God, for each of us who have made you our God, I pray we would think about you, God. I, I, just, I just pray that very simply. Help us to be more intentional in our thoughts about you. We pray this in your blessed and your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.